All right. Good morning. Are y'all glad to be in the house of the Lord? Let, let me just tell you something. <laughs> let me just tell you something. If that's the last song, don't get your motor going. Go to Walmart right now and buy yourself a new battery because you're dead. <laughs> that is a great song. Um, when I first heard it, I just loved it. And uh, we're going to have a sermon series. I think it starts like the middle of August. Um, built on that song, you know, the bridge there. You know, he turns graves into gardens and and bones into armies. And it's, I just can't wait to preach. It's going to be a fun time. I'm looking forward to it. But isn't he a great God? He really is. And we got several folks that are back with us today for the first time. We are so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for coming. I'm glad to see the end in sight, the light, the end of the tunnel. It's just a wonderful thing. And I want you to know, by the way, I've had my two shots, so I glow in the dark, baby. I'm ready. All right? So anyway, I am done. I'm glad that's in the rearview mirror. But anyway, so, so praise the Lord for that. And you know what? One year ago today, this, one year ago today, this was our last normal service in person. Um, one year ago. And sorry, next week, um, we, we started, you know, we started, I think we have one more service after today. Uh, this, this time last year, we were saying goodbye to Kim and Chris. And then on the, uh, the next week, we had about 200, they announced they're going to close the schools. And we had about 200 people in worship. And that's when we voted to go ahead and go off campus. Now, we never shut down. Amen. We never shut down. Um, the word was preached every week. Worship was done one way or another every, every week. So praise God for that. But for 10 weeks, we didn't meet on campus uh, in person. And then, like I say, slowly it's opened back up. So I'm just excited. And we are thrilled that you are here today. God Amen. bless you. Well, we start a new series today. And uh, it's called Bang for Your Buck. And, of course, again, if you're familiar with, with slogans like that, I'll try to say that word, that what it is, but it will come out wrong. But anyway, bang for your buck means to get a good value for your dollar, to get a good value for the dollar. So we want to spend the next four weeks talking about how is a way that you can get the most bang for your buck. I'm excited about it because it's something, God's already proved he's doing something different. Um, I'll tell you that in just a moment, you know, how that happened. Um, I, you know, this week I wrestled with the message and next week I was saying, God, what do you want me to do here? I want to do something different. And then Brother Brent's going to be reached the third week and I've got the last week again. So anyway, so I'm just really excited about the, the new things God wants to teach us and show us um, from his word. Well, as an example, the title. You know, this title started out as Money Matters. Money, and that was kind of catchy. Ron Blue used to do that. If you remember Ron Blue, he was one of the first financial gurus, and he had a show called Money Matters. And so that's where it started. And then, and then we end up with him, he, and me. And then I think I changed it to him, me, and his. Okay. And then while I'm sitting on the front row, and you'll see why in just a moment. I was going to change the title, say, ignore the slide. We're going to change it to satisfaction, okay? But then we sang the last song, and then I realized the sermon title needs to be, There's Nothing Better Than Him. Amen. There's nothing better than Him. And you're going to hear that throughout the message today. There's nothing better than Him that Jesus Christ really is um, enough. We're going to start out in just a moment in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but I've got to tell you a little bit more of the story about how this all came about. Like I told you, I told Brent Monday or Tuesday, usually by Monday or Tuesday, the sermon's pretty well cooked. You know, the spaghetti's been cooking. I start on, in case you want to know, I start usually on Wednesday and Thursday building next week's message. 
And so I'd done that, and I came back in. I said, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Lord, I should be struggling with this. And I just couldn't nail it down. Remember, Britt, we had that conversation. And what happened was Wednesday, I think it was, I'd done my, my Jesus thing, you know, in the morning, uh, version. You ought to be a fan of version. And if you got an electronic device, you'd have it open already. Go down to, to uh, more, go to events, and you've got all the sermon notes right there, so you should have that open. So I'd done my version thing that day, and I just wanted something else. And so every day in version, you need to know this. On the opening page, there's a thing where you can click. It's got your little picture there. You click on it, and uh, they give you a welcome for the day. They show a minute-and-a-half video of some teacher teaching something. Then there's a short devotion, and then there's a prayer. And so I, I done all that, and I said, I want something more. You ever wanted something more? Well, so I, there's a place you can click on Discover down here. I, some of you, I know this don't make any sense. That's okay for those of us who know you version. You go there, and, oh, there's seven or eight of the previous little short videos there. So I looked across there, and they don't give you any topics or anything. It's, you know, you might remember what the person said, but there was David Platt. And David Platt, to me, is an interesting guy because of the way he presents the message. He just teaches different than anybody I know, and, and he's got a lot of respect, certainly my respect. And so I decided to go ahead and play what he had for that day, uh, well, for the previous day, but that day for me. And so, so I hit play, and he starts talking about it, and here's what he says. He says, so how many of y'all like to be satisfied? Well, I, he said, I do, you know. I want to be satisfied, and I bet you want to be satisfied too. And he said, but the world has a different way of looking for satisfaction. Now, the world says if you, if you, if you can enjoy this, indulge in that, buy this, live there, drive this, you know, labels on your clothes, whatever, if you do all that, then you can be satisfied. And, of course, we know, and he made a point to show, that that's not true. And so that's when he jumped into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. And this is when the clarity of the whole message just, boop, there it was. When told Brent, said, Brent got it. Got it. Know exactly what God wants to do. And what he wanted to talk about was being satisfied or being content. Now, in the 1965, how many of y'all were teenagers in 65? How many of y'all were in your 20s in 65? How many of y'all weren't born in 65? How many of you know there was a 1965? All right, there we go. I think we got it there. Well, in 1965, it was a crazy time. It was drug, sex, and rock and roll. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, if it feels good, do it. Open rebellion, Woodstock, all these crazy things were going on. Well, right in the middle of that decade, 1965, a group called the Rolling Stones. Y'all remember the Rolling Stones? Uh, they were really pretty carnal. Well, most of the groups were carnal, uh, you know, besides the, you know, the easy rock ones. But, but they were pretty, pretty radical, okay? They came up with a song entitled Satisfaction. Now, about now, someone's saying, why are you even mentioning this in church? There is a reason why, all right? But here's the words that song Satisfaction, 1965, right smack dab in the middle of all this counterculture, do your own thing, if it feels good, do it. He said this, the song says this. Mick Jagger said this. Um, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Now, they didn't do grammar, Becca, okay? Because um, I try and I try and I try and I try, I can't get no, I can't get no satisfaction. Now, here's why this is so appropriate. Here, here is a rock band 
basically doing whatever they want to do, illegal or not. Here's a culture that a chunk of people, uh, people that would have been 16, 17 years old uh, or, or 14 years old in that time, doing whatever they wanted to do, you know, rebellion, all of that stuff. And here's a leading rock band comes out and says, you know what? I can't gain satisfaction. I've got a license to sin. I've got a license to sin. I've got a license to do whatever I want to do. And truth be, I can't gain satisfaction. I try. And I try. And I try. And I try. I just can't get no satisfaction. Isn't that enlightening? Isn't that enlightening? In one of the most liberal times in American history, the culture is saying, I can't get any satisfaction. And, of course, we know the answer. And the answer is, is that you can't get satisfaction in those areas. So the world sells that. Okay, but the answer is something radically and totally different. And that's what David Platt was talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Okay, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, okay, the cornerstone, not rolling stone, the cornerstone, Jesus, y'all supposed to say amen. Jesus, the rock of ages. Amen. The rock of ages, okay, the, 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 the stone that matters, speaking to what Peter calls living stones, that's us. Okay, all right. Blessed or happy, that's a good start. Blessed or happy, well, well, who? Blessed are those people, the living stones, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness. Okay, now, I want you to notice a couple words there. See where he says hunger and thirst? You know, this is not a casual thing. It's an intense thing. Hunger and thirsting. You know, you've heard a lot about my eating habits over the years. And, um, you know, a couple of things. There's sometimes, you know, personally, and I think you too, you know, when you're just grazing. You know, Judy goes to bed. Sometimes I go graze. I have to wait she goes to bed because she's on this health thing. You know? so, so, right, so you go into the kitchen and you get there and you open the refrigerator. You poke around. You know, Dave, you kind of poke around, look on the shelf, moving things around. Just see if there's something that scratches your itch. Okay? Then if that doesn't work, you go to the pantry and you see she's hiding something in there. Okay, just just grazing, just grazing. Don't really know what I want. I'm just looking. Okay, but then there are times when I get a craving. That's stronger. That means I come home from work on Monday night, and and Mackie's got their breadsticks on half price on Monday. You need to know that. Okay, and and so G says, you know, I say G, or or she says, you know, let's have spaghetti for supper with breadsticks. Oh, and all of a sudden I start cra- all of a sudden I start talking Italian. You know. <laughs> I'm excited about it, okay? So, so we start, so we do that. So we shift gears from grazing to craving. But here's something better. How many of y'all ever been to Cold Stone before? Cold Stone, yeah, Cold Stone. Now, I like the way Cold Stone does their sizing thing. You know, they don't say, would you like a small, medium, or large? They don't do that. But what they do is they say, do you want to like it? Or do you want to love it? Or do you want to got to have it? Okay, yeah, 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 see? So, so Jesus, when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, he's saying, now listen, listen, liking it doesn't cut it. I'm not talking about you got to like righteousness, okay? He says, in fact, I, you can't even love righteousness. He goes, I'm calling you to, to get where we're going. I'm calling you to got to have righteousness. I got to have it. Got to have it. So, so here's what he says. You know, happy are those who've got to have righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Remember? Remember? I can't get, I try and I try and I try. I can't get no satisfaction. They should have talked to the cornerstone. They should have talked to the rock of ages. He said, I can tell you how to be satisfied and how you become satisfied is you've got a craving, you've got a hunger and a thirst in, and, and you've got a gotta have it for righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's right living. Amen. It's living the way God tells us to live. And he says, right smack dab in that is satisfaction. You can be satisfied when you crave righteousness. Now, Paul used a different word, but it's the same thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know, if you take the word satisfied, okay, and the word contentment, they're synonyms. Contentment, satisfaction. Satisfaction, contentment. They go together. And here's what Paul says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6, he says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So what does that mean? What does it mean to have that? Well, C.S. Lewis gives us a really good um, explanation in his quote, okay? Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Here's what he says. Aim at heaven, aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. However, aim at earth, and you will get neither. Isn't that, isn't that good? Isn't that good? So, so Paul is saying, Paul is saying, so that when we, when we seek godliness, we'll talk about that in just a moment, and when we seek, really, you, when you have godliness, you've got contentment, but when you throw in contentment, there's great gain. You know, one of the things, I'm not a, a good investor. I don't know much about it. I give people money and tell them to do what they think is right. Okay? But here's the deal. I know that I want an ROI, return on investment. Return on investment. And Paul is saying that when you have godliness and you have contentment, then you have great gain. You have a good ROI. And he says, if you'll aim at heaven, C.S. Lewis says, if you'll aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. That's a good ROI. It's a good ROI. He said, however, if you crave and you hunger for the things of this world, okay, you're going to get neither. Get neither. See, see, all he's doing is paraphrasing Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. C.S. Lewis is simply saying, just follow Matthew 6, 33. If you crave God, if you seek God, okay, then all this other stuff is added in. However, if you choose earth over God, you're going to end up with nothing. You're going to end up with neither. So what is this? What is this idea of godliness? What is it? Well, well, godliness is simply living out the characters and guidelines and rules of God, the laws of God. You know, when we see, again, you just need to make sure you understand this. God did not give us, especially in the age of grace, God's law was not intended to be a, 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 a you got it, you got it, you got it. Within God's laws, we find that satisfaction, that contentment, that peace that we look for. God gave us the laws of, of, of his word to make sure and help us understand that's in that that we find the peace that we're looking for, okay? So, so what is this godliness, okay? What is this? It's godly character, but how does it look like? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, okay, now keep it in mind the era it's written in, you know, we know all about the Olympic Games and all that's going on, especially in Corinth. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, here's what Paul says. 
For the training of the body has limited benefit. So what he's saying is, is that I know, I know in the, in the era that we live in, there's a big push toward taking care of the body. But I want you to know, Paul says to them, Paul says that has limited benefit. Not, not that it has no benefit, it just has limited benefit. Because again, back then, they worshipped the body. Well, guess what we do today? We worship the body. How do you know that, Dwayne? Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you that worldwide, that fitness is a $98 billion business. I can tell you that. I can tell you in America, the average person spends $155 a month on fitness-related issues. That includes gym memberships, special classes, spin classes, dance classes, and things like that. It includes um, supplements, vitamin supplements, and it includes you know healthy meals, meals that we buy specifically to be healthy. $155, not a year, a month, a month. I mean, come on, we all know, you know, if you're, if you're really into the body thing, you know, your gym time is like the most important time of the day. You know how it is with ladies, don't you? I mean, they could be two days from death, okay? They're going to they're gonna make sure that they have at least a day to go to the beauty shop. Am I right or am I? Come on, ladies. Am I right or wrong? You don't, listen, there could be 14 feet of snow and we're going to the beauty shop. Okay, well, guys, especially the millennial age, but, but a lot of people, a lot of people were just that way about the gym. You know, got to make it to the gym. See, if we're not careful, our bodies become gods. The most important thing is taking care of our bodies. And again, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your body, but it just can't become a god. You know, it frightens me still, and I know you get tired of hearing this, how much time and energy and money we pour in to our children in sports. Come on. Come on, you know, if we, just, if we just took half of that time, energy, and effort and poured it into God in our children's lives, that would be a great return. That would be a good ROI. But, but it's amazing how, how we take time and money and resources, poured it into the body. But Paul says, but Paul says the training of the body has limited benefits. Has limited benefits. But listen to this. He says, but godliness is beneficial in every way. In other words, godliness has a great ROI, a return on investment. He says godliness has, is beneficial in every way. Since, since, and here's why, it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, so Paul says when we choose godliness, okay, then there's a benefit now, okay, and there's a benefit later. The benefit, now, have, have you ever, have you ever had anybody go, you know, my life was so much better before I met Jesus. I used to wake up with a hangover. It just felt so good. Oh, I can remember sneaking out of the bar and going, throwing up in the toilet. I loved it. It was so great. Oh, it was so wonderful to live in fear that my parents or my wife or the police would find out. Oh, how I miss those days. You don't see that. You don't see that. You know, I do hear people who receive Christ into their lives going, best life ever. Best life ever. Even when things aren't going totally right, it's still the best life ever. And so, so we learn this. We're, we're, we're learning that. He said, you know, this is the best life possible through Jesus Christ. The training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness has, has hope for this life and eternity. You, you know, 
God helps you here, and God helps you there. God, God walks with you here, and God lives with you there. It's a great deal. It's a wonderful deal. And, and he says in verse 9, he says, Oh, and this saying is trustworthy and full. It's just full of acceptance. He said, take this one to the bank. Godliness is better. Take it to the bank. Godliness is better. I can tell you this. I've been doing this Jesus thing for about 45 years. And I can tell you this. The times in my life when I most hungrily sought God are the best years of my life. And, and the times when I did not are the worst times in my life. Godliness is great gain. But then he goes a little further and says this. We've got to understand, you know, Tim Keller is a preacher that said something very well. He says this, you know, sin grows, sin grows when we think we deserve something from God. Now, now let me help. I, I should have just changed it. Uh, Tim wouldn't have mind. Uh, you know, put that, take that word sin and pull it out and put ungodliness there. Okay? Ungodliness grows when we think we deserve something from God. In other words, when we become God consumers. Okay? Hey, God. Hey, I said yes to Jesus. Now you owe me. Hey, God. I said yes to Jesus. I go to church. I write the check. You owe me. See, see, we're not, we're not supposed to be consumers. We're, we're not supposed to see God as someone that serves or exists for us to, to consume him. Hey, guess what? Church isn't that way. Church is not a place where you're a consumer. You're much more than that. But when we, but as soon as we start thinking, hey, God, you owe me something, okay, then that's where ungodliness grows. How's your life? How's your life? Do you have a spirit of expectation with God? Hey, God, I expect you because I did. Let me tell you something. This will always be enough. If he, if he gave us nothing else but this, it's, amen, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. So, so we're learning then. Ungodliness grows when we think we deserve something from God. Listen to this. Godliness grows when we understand we are debtors to God. How, how, do, you, how do you repay this? How do you repay it? Well, let me just put your mind at ease. You can't. But we can love Him and serve Him and honor Him with our lives. Amen. That's a, that will fall, fall way short, but it's something at least that we could do. So we learn. Ungodliness grows when we think we deserve something from God. Godliness grows when we understand that we are debtors to God. So what's this contentment thing? Well, Paul wrote a lot about contentment. And, and this is found in Philippians 4.12. Now you need to know, this is so cool, you need to understand that Paul's in prison. A Roman prison. It's not good. It's not pretty, okay? It's hard, okay? Listen to what he says. Sitting in prison cell in Rome. He says this. I know how, Paul says, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. He says, if, if it's one of those good days that I have a whole lot, which, believe me, for Paul wouldn't have been much. However, you know, I'm, I learned how to do that. And, and the days when it's not very much, I learned how to do that. In fact, he says this, you know, in any and all circumstances, I've learned. I've learned. Now, notice it wasn't a spiritual gift. It wasn't like he was standing in the gift line in heaven and God said, okay, Paul, I'm going to give you the spiritual gift of contentment. Okay? He had to learn it. He went to the school of life to learn. Okay? So he says, in all circumstances, no matter how good or how bad, COVID, no COVID, 
okay? Good marriage, not good marriage, all right? Good job, bad job, okay? Bad boss, good bad boss. Good husband, good wife, no. He says, in all circumstances, I have learned, here it is, I have learned the secret of being content. And he goes on, whether well-fed or hungry or whether in abundance or need. I have learned the secret. So we're all sitting there with bated breath going, Paul, what's the secret? Because I need this one because I spent a whole chunk of my time not being content. What's the secret, Paul? It's that verse that so many of you love. Uh, it's verse 13, which follows verse number 12. Okay? And verse 13 says, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How about that? The big secret is this. My, old, my King James Version, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what I was raised on. We love that verse. Some of you would say, if I were to say, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? Oh, oh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's awesome. But see, what we want to do, if we're starting a diet, we're going to say, I can do this, okay? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, you know, I can, I can run a mile, okay? I can do this because... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what's the context? The context is contentment. Paul's saying, I've learned how to be content even in bad circumstances. How do I do that? I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Jesus is enough. It doesn't depend on my circumstances. It doesn't depend that, let's rewind the clock, and 2020 didn't happen. There was no COVID. There was no race rise. There was no election. If we could just rewind the clock and do it all over again, it would be great, Dwayne. No, no, no. It doesn't depend on that. It doesn't matter if you'd have married better or, you know, if you'd had fewer kids or more kids or you chose a different career or you hadn't got that much in debt. Matters is Jesus is enough. Even in circumstances that you've messed up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So so what's the secret sauce then? What is the secret? The secret sauce for contentment. Now listen, if you're writing down, if you've got your app open, the secret sauce for contentment is knowing knowledge, believing, faith, and living, acting out two things. The sufficiency of Christ and the insufficiency of the world. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, 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 listen. That's the biggest thing you're going to hear today. That's it. When we start knowing, believing, and living two things, one, Jesus is enough. Jesus, how many of y'all believe Jesus is enough? Amen. I mean, listen, he is enough. See, the problem is we want circumstances. We, we want things better. And Paul is telling us, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Jesus is enough. No matter if you're locked in a Roman jail. No matter if your health is poor. No matter if your marriage stinks. No matter what the circumstances are. Listen, Jesus is enough. And then, to keep you from committing adultery, which we're going to talk about next week with the world, remember this. The world is never enough. The world is never enough. When you start understanding these two things, everything changes. Jesus is enough. I'm not even tempted. Listen, Brent, I'm not even tempted with the world. I don't even tempted to go to the world. Why? Because it's not enough. 
The national anthem for the world is, I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no satisfaction. That's the national anthem of the world. It doesn't work. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. Because it doesn't work. But Jesus never fails. Now, I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about quitting and starting. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the with the Son of God who loved you enough to die for you. That's what I'm talking about. And that, and that sufficiency, that sufficiency is enough. I saw we sang last week called I Got Saved. Listen to part of the words. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? Amen. That's it, dudes. That's it. If you truly got Jesus, how could you want more? When, when the more looks like that, when the more looks like shame and guilt and failure and trying and never getting it, how could you want anything else besides Jesus? It's just simply wonderfully amazing. You know, you know Paul went and wrote in, in chapter 6, verse 7, he says, you know, listen, listen. Again, speaking about sufficiency, he says, listen, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Isn't that true? Yeah. I mean, when you, when you were born, you had nothing, and when you die, everything stays. When, when you're born, you have nothing, and when you die, everything stays. Job said it this way. Remember the guy in the Old Testament, Job? Job said, I came naked. He got real graphic, okay? I came naked from my mama's womb, all right? And I will be naked when I leave. In other words, I came in with nothing, I leave with nothing. Now listen carefully to what he says. The Lord gave me what I had. Do you understand that? I don't know where you are in your station in life. I don't know if you would say I'm one of the I'm, I'm super blessed financially and super blessed materialistically. I don't know. Or would you say my life is pretty skimpy? Let me tell you this. Whatever you have, God gave it to you. You can talk about your degrees and, and your skills and your talents and all that. The bottom line is God gave that to you. See, you don't understand something. Maggie, you're sitting here in God's house breathing God's air. Amen. The air that you're in putting in your lungs is God's air. It's God, come on, amen? amen? It's God's air. So, so Job understood. Listen, what I had, he had, at this moment he has nothing because, man, the kids are gone, the, the cattle are gone, the donkeys are gone, the oxens, oxens are gone. The only one not gone is his wife and he wishes she was. The Lord gave me what I had. And because he gave it to me, he has the right to take it away. And then he said this, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. See, he's teaching us to lose, hold loosely the things we have. So, two things. One, never let the presence of stuff become your God. See, see, stuff has a tendency to become a deity in your people's lives. Stuff has a tendency to become a deity in their lives. So he says, never let the presence of your stuff become your God. Be careful. The, the, we are drawn to stuff, okay? Uh, I'm going to say it next week, but I'll say it this week. We have a thing for dead presidents. We like a lot of them, especially ones printed on paper. 
Okay? So never let the presence of stuff become your God. And, 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 be careful. Don't let the absence of stuff define God's love for you. If God loved me, I would have this. If God loved me, I would have this. If God loved me, this would happen. If God loved listen, this happened. This happened. That's it. That's enough. That's enough. So, so be careful of things. Don't let things become your God. And just because you'll have a lot of things, don't think that God you know, doesn't love you because he does. Now, the second teaching point is this. Let's face the facts. Stuff is temporary. Stuff is temporary. But here's the cool part. And this is the loophole and this is the big deal. God can take what is temporal and make it eternal. See, God can take what is temporal and he can make it eternal. Stuff stays. But there's a loophole in Scripture that says you can take it with you, but not in the way you would think. Matthew 6.20 says this. Jesus says, store up. Here, let, let me give you a word we can apply to, okay? Invest. Jesus says, invest for yourselves treasures in heaven. Make an investment. Put, put your money where there's a good ROI, return on investment. So he says, invest for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where? Where moth nor rust destroys and thieves can't break in and steal. You don't have to worry about the stock market. You don't have to worry about the value of gold. You don't have to worry about what things are going to do. Okay? Put it in a place where it's safe. And he says this, here's the deal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our heart follows our treasure. And if our treasure is our dead precedence, that's what our heart is going to follow. But, but if we choose to invest in the kingdom where the moth and the rust and the thieves can't steal, then our heart will follow that. You know, Andy Stanley has a great quote. I started watching him again when I was on the treadmill walking. Here's what he says. Giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It is an investment. And when we choose, when we choose to honor God and invest in the upside down kingdom, listen, that's not a sacrifice. It's called an investment. It's an investment in the things yet to come. If we could just learn this, if we could just buy this, it would change our lives dramatically. There's a scripture tucked away, tucked away in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And uh, I think it follows, it's, it's kind of after the bad steward story, if you remember the Bible just a little bit. A, man, a steward was, was misusing his manager's money and got fired. And so he goes and tells people, hey, I'll give you a deal, write your bill for half. If you remember the story at all, it's like that. And after Jesus gets done teaching the story, he says this. Now, let me read the way it is, okay? And then when I'm read it to you, it might help you again a little bit. You know, so I tell you, he says, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, when the wealth fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. And you're going, what does that mean? It's bigger than you think. Tell you what, with that, we will not violate scripture, okay? But let's just change a word. Instead of friends, let's put disciples, Disciples. So it reads like this. And I tell you, make disciples for yourselves. Or yourself, make disciples. By means of, what? Worldly wealth. 
so that when it fails, not the wealth, when you're gone, okay, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. What it seems, what Jesus seems to be saying, and I don't fully understand it, and I don't know a preacher who would you know, tell you that they fully understand it, but it seems to be this, that, that when we are wise enough to take our worldly wealth and invest it, where's, where's Jackie at? Jackie, that Annie Armstrong thing you talked about? When we're wise enough to say, okay, God, listen, I don't have a whole lot, but I'm going to give you part of what I got. Really, it's all yours. But I'm going to give you part of what you trust me with, and I'm going to give it to Annie so people in North America can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm going to take my worldly wealth and I'm going to help make disciples. And God, and God, when I'm gone, and trust me, one day you will be gone. No one lives on this earth forever. So, so when it fails, they, who is they? The people you helped come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, either with your money or your mouth or your prayers, they will welcome you into Eternal dwellings. That's got to be heaven. So, so what he's saying is, is apparently there's a way that, that when we invest in the kingdom, you know, we get a good ROI and people are saved because of our generosity. People are saved because of our obedience. People are saved because of our testimony. And when we get to heaven, you know, there, there would be, a, apparently, there's going to be some recognition there and people will come say, thank you for giving. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for serving because I'm here because you helped me be here. Does that make sense? Yes. Listen, listen, look at me. This is real. God does not need your money. God gives you the opportunity to be part of the game. Amen. That's all it is. He's inviting us to be a part of the game when we get to see people say, and when we're content, we can do that. As long as we're not content, we probably won't. There'll always be something else that keeps us from being generous. Well, he says, Timothy goes on, or Paul goes on in verse 8 and says this. So, here's the deal. If we have food and clothing, okay, food and shelter, we'll be content with these. <laughs> Would you be real? <laughs> Would you be real? Real. Be content with food and clothing, with food and shelter? Really? Yeah. If we believe Jesus is enough. If we believe Jesus is enough. What's this worth? What's this worth? See, if you really truly believe Jesus is enough, this is more valuable than gold or silver or diamonds or jewels are the biggest portfolio in the world. Amen. 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 So Paul says, if you truly believe Jesus is enough, you know, be content with food and clothing. Be content. The next quote is like the quote of the year. I found it uh, late into the game of preparing this message. It's one from Charles Spurgeon, one of the dead guys. He says, I have heard of a good old woman, his words, not mine. I have heard of a good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. Lifting her hands, she said as a blessing, what? All this and Christ too. Amen. I've heard the story of a good old woman in a cottage who had a piece of bread and a little bit of water. And as a blessing, she raised her hands and says, 
all this in Christ too. See, Jesus is enough. And we've experienced this, God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. We can say no matter where we are in our station of life, all this and Jesus too. We're going to close with one more word of advice from Jesus from Luke chapter 12. Another story where this is the guy going, hey, my brother won't share the inheritance with me. Make him do it. So he tells a story. And then he says this. Watch out. Watch out. Because see, we tend to worship what we love. Watch out. And be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now look at me. Your stuff does not define you. Your stuff does not define you. One's life does not depend on his possessions. What does it depend on? Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. See, more important what your labels say about you, you know, your car labels or your clothing labels or your address labels or your title labels. More important than that is what God says about you and what you say about God. And the big picture, the big truth, as Christ followers, we should say this. Jesus, you are enough. And hey world, you will never be enough. That'll stick in our we come down to our time of decision and we want to give you the opportunity to respond in any way. You know, if you're here today, I've talked several times. Several times today I walked back to this and said this was enough. You know, it was on a cross similar to that where the Son of God bled and died for the sins of the world. My sins and your sins. And here's the deal. When he died and resurrected, <laughs> it's cool. You know, he died then he didn't stay dead. He resurrected the third day. And when that happened... You know, he made it possible that people like you and I and Facebook friends and radio friends, people like you and I could have forgiveness and eternal life, a relationship with God. We could call God Father, not because we're good, not because we've done good, but because he is good. And he did that for us. So if you're here today, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. The altar's going to be open. And uh, we'd love to just come and say, hey, Dwight, Brent, I, I want to know about this. I want to know about a guy who loved me so much that he's willing to die for me. And we'd be glad to share that with you. And if you're on Facebook, give us a holler. 499-0070, still my number. Give me a holler. And we'll talk. And we'll talk. But for those of us who know Jesus, I want you to take this home. You know, Jesus is enough. And the world never will be. Jesus is enough. You can be content no matter where your station of life is, is because Jesus is enough. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Jesus, thank you for being enough. Thank you for your sufficiency. And thank you that the world will never be enough. Don't let us forget that. When we're tempted and lured and pulled um, in that direction, Help us to remember, it's just not going to be enough. But you are. Pray for...
my friends today who may not know Jesus, may the day be the day that they trust Christ. And for all of us, may we leave today committed that you are enough. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.